321i Relaunch, the podcast where we discuss strategies, advice, and success stories about returning to work after a career break. I'm Carol Fishman-Cohen, the chair and co-founder of iRelaunch, and your host for today. Today, we welcome Dr. Wendy Ballaby, performance coach for the Chicago Bulls, yes, the pro basketball team, and founder of Ballaby Consulting, a performance psychology firm. She is also the founder of Wisdom Knot, a nonprofit helping youth discover their greatness. Wendy is a relauncher and took a 14-month career break to be home with her twins. Hi, Wendy. Welcome to 321i Relaunch. Hello. Good morning, Carol. Thanks so much for having me. I'm, I'm super excited to be here with you guys today. Well, we are thrilled to be having the conversation with you. And I want to jump right in. I'd like to know uh, if you can walk us through your pre-career break path. Sure. So my my career was um, just literally just took off from as soon as I finished my doctorate. So I I spent um, four years at James Madison University. Um, I was there as an intern, and then I was there for about four months. And they saw the the benefits of having a sports psychologist at the university to help with the team. And so they decided to have it as a an ongoing um, job. And so I applied and stayed. And while I was there, I I, I started teaching sports psych courses. I worked with all the teams and the coaches. I ended up having to hire somebody else. We got an internship program, a doctor, a postdoc. And so um, just kind of took off from there, from left JMU and went to the Olympics. I was there for two Winter Olympics and a Summer Olympics. So about seven years, I lived in San Diego for the Olympics and spent seven years of my life traveling all over the world. Um, I I didn't even travel in the United States. All the, all the teams that I worked with was um, all over the country. So that's just where I went. I was gone all the time for about seven years. Um, and then I took the, I, I actually in that time also started a company with um, six Navy SEALs called APG. And I did that for about two years. And um then had kids. <laughs> <laughs> wow. That's incredible. Let me just ask you, are you, or were you an athlete yourself? Um, I was, and I am, I played, I played all the sports growing up. I stuck with basketball um, and, and played a little bit in college. Um, but it's just been, I, I still consider myself an athlete because I, I believe it's a mentality. So you definitely have an athlete mentality once you're, you know, decide you're going to play sports. It's the way that you perceive things and the way that you react to illnesses and health. And it's just, it's just a little different way of thinking. <laughs> wow. Uh, and have you had any military experience? Like when you connected with the Navy SEALs, was that something that came out of the Olympic work or was there a military connection before that? No, no military connection. It came out through the Olympic work. I just wanted to connect with um, the, the SEALs where they had a, you know, they're in Coronado there in San Diego. So they did all their training. And so, you know, when you think about mental toughness, you think about Navy SEALs. So I thought what a perfect way to help the athletes understand um, mental toughness was to connect with them. And so I used to take our the Olympic athlete, live on Colfell, should I say, and did some training with them. And then we just started a company that, you know, launched how do we could, how we could actually take this training to help other people. Um, and I you know, went on board with them and we connected this great little program and um, it worked out and you know, they're, they're actually still doing it. I, I decided to no longer, no longer be with the company, but um, they're still doing great stuff. And what was your PhD in? Clinical psychology. Nice. So um, I am a clinical psychologist um, and I, I, I did that um, honestly because two reasons. <laughs> One was I knew that if I wanted to 
um, be in sports and work, do applied work with, with athletes, that I needed to make myself more marketable. So with my master's in sports psych, I needed to have a clinical degree so I could work with the entire athlete. So um, mind and body, clinical issues on court, off the court. Um, so that was the first reason. The second reason is that this is a this is a male dominated field. And so I, I knew at some point I wanted to be married and have kids. And so I thought I needed to have a DR dot in front of my name mm-hmm. so I could be able to call the shots. Wow, that was good. That was very good advanced planning. Um, okay, so so all of a sudden you had kids. You had twins. <laughs> well, it wasn't all of a sudden, but yes. <laughs> right. Um, but but yes, it was. Uh, I, I did. I I had twins and and, and planned it very strategically because I, you know, um, I actually use an anonymous donor. So uh, and 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 you know, as I like to say, God gave me twins and planned it strategically so I'd be in London during the Winter Olympics past my first trimester. That was the, that was the goal. Mm-hmm. And, um, so went through the Olympics and, you know, had, had my, my twins, a boy and a girl and, um, and decided to, I took about, I don't know, by about four or five months off, um, after the Olympics or should I say after I had the twins. And then I decided I went back to work and did a little part-time, although it's really kind of full-time cause I was still traveling. So the nanny and the twins and I were traveling again all over the world. And, um, and then I decided that, you know, I, I got my doctorate for a reason, which was, I wanted to be able to, like I said, have a family. So I quit my job with the Olympics and stayed home with my twins for 14 months. So it sounds like you have kind of planned that out and, and that was a, an, an intentional decision. And, but was the 14 months, like, why was it 14 months and, and what happened to bring you back into the workforce? Sure. Um, it, it was very intentional uh, to, to quit and to, and to stay home with the twins. Um, I I knew when I was going to stay home with them that I was not going to, this was not something I was going to ultimately do. I knew I was going to go back to work and I knew exactly what that meant for my career. Um, going back into sports psychology meant lots of traveling and working with the team and so a lot of demands and time. And so um, I just thought, I'm going to stay home with them until I'm ready to go back to work. And so I had no time limit. Um, but I was in San Diego and realized that I needed to move to where my, my kids could have family closer, which was Chicago. So I had planned to, to move to Chicago, uh, the spring of 2016, and this was summer of 2015. So I thought, oh, I'm going to spend another, <laughs> another winter in sunny California mm-hmm. <laughs> and then I'll wait till the spring of 2016 and I'll, and I'll, and I'll move to Chicago and um, when I get to Chicago, I'll look for a job. That was that was my plan. And so um, I, I did some investigating in the Chicago area and found out that there was, I knew some one person here, but there was really nobody in Chicago that had my credentials and had my education. So I thought, I just need to get to Chicago and I'll find a job. I wasn't really worried about um, getting a job. I just thought I just need to physically get there and then I could look to make connections and get a job. And so that was, that was just the, there was a plan. So it just kind of worked out to being 14 months. Um, and then, um, I, then I get a call from the Chicago Bulls. And so I kind of thought, I, I think God's telling me that Chicago is the place I need to be. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, and so it just, it, it kind of transpired that way. Um, I, I wasn't expecting to go back to work till much later on. Again, I wasn't going to look for a job until April, 2016. Um, instead I started a job by April, 2016. And this call that you got from the Bulls, like, how did that happen? 
so they were looking for a sports psychologist and they contacted Ken Revisa, which is, he used to be the sports psychologist for the Cubs. Ken actually passed away last year. Um, so they contacted him and was looking for people and, and Ken said, let me put some feelers out there to see who's in Chicago. Um, he, sports psych is a very small field. Um, everybody knows everybody. And so he uh, contacted some folks to see who was in Chicago and found out that I was moving to Chicago. So gave them my information and they vetted me prior to even calling me. So they knew everything about me before they even gave me a call, um, which is kind of unsettling. <laughs> <laughs> right. Um, so they gave me a call and said they were looking for higher sports psychologists. They heard about me and again said they, you know, they knew all this and this and this and gave back, you know, gave me my rundown and wanted to know if I'd be interested in talking to them further about this job. Wow. That's really something. And so in their minds, they weren't even thinking about it in terms of you taking a career break. They, they just, they saw your credentials, they saw your background and they found out that you were moving to Chicago. Correct. They had no idea that I'd taken a career break. They, they thought maybe you were even still working for the Olympics or with the Navy SEALs with that group. Well, they actually thought that I was working because I was doing some consulting with the NBA at the time. So they thought I was, I was just continuing doing the consulting with the NBA. And I did that every couple of months um, for a couple of days. So they thought that's what, that's what I was doing. Okay. So let's just talk about that for a minute. So, because, you know, we talk sometimes about when people take the strategy of keeping a toe in. And so um, if you, if you were doing some occasional consulting for the NBA, like that, that's a really important strategic piece. And how did that happen? Did you, was that something that came out of the work that you had been doing at the Olympics? It, it came with, no, it came with just, again, sports, like it is a very small field. So um, there was a, a colleague of mine that was doing some stuff with the NBA and um, he wanted they were looking for uh, some folks that were interested in doing some consulting work for them. So he, you know, again, brought my, he brought my name into the picture. Um, and, and so when they, when the NBA called me, I, I was, it was very intentional about what I was willing to do. I mean, I wasn't, I wasn't going to be gone for, you know, long periods of time. I wasn't going to um, fly in and out of some place. If this was something you wanted, I would, you know, we something we could do over the phone. You can send me whatever you're looking at and then I could go from there. Right. Well, I think I think that's that's a really important piece that a you were doing this occasional consulting work and b you were pretty strict about setting the parameters uh, for which you would you would do this work with them while you were on career break. Correct. It was it was really important to me that um, if it was something that that it was going to happen, it could only happen in the times the twins were taking a nap. So that's, that's, wow. I, I wanted to be present. I wanted to be mom. And so right. if this is that was going to take more than a couple hours of them taking a nap or when they go to bed at eight o'clock, then I wasn't, you know, I, I declined it. Right. Okay. But still, you know, as far as your resume was concerned, your network, your contacts, your sort of keeping engaged in the field, this was a way to stay pretty current. It sounds like. Um, yeah, I, I go, it, I guess it was. And I, I never, I never really even thought about that way. I just thought of, you know, this was, um, I got a call from a friend that needed some assistance and I said, you know, sure, if we can do it at this parameters and that, then I would be more than happy to do it. Um, but it wasn't, it was by no means my intention to stay connected. It was just, 
I was trying to help out. I literally was thinking I'm helping out a friend. Right. Wow. Interesting. Uh, for those of you who have just tuned in, you're listening to 321 I Relaunch. This is your host, Carol Fishman Cohen, and I'm speaking with Wendy Bollaby, performance coach for the Chicago Bulls and relauncher. So, Wendy, now that you've given me this history, a relatively short career break and a career break in which you were doing some occasional consulting uh, while you were um, during that quote break, um, I am wondering, did you ever feel that you had to update skills or do anything to get yourself really back in the mode of working when you took the full-time job or was it pretty smooth and you didn't even think about that? (laughs) (laughs) Oh, that cannot be a real question. (laughs) I mean, no, there was nothing smooth about it. Um, Absolutely not. Absolutely not. It was, it was a, um, even just going into talking to the Bulls was, was uh, that was a feat in itself. Cause I, you know, I, I was home, I was living in pajamas and not brushing my hair for 14 months. There was no, you know, I, I, I didn't, didn't go anywhere. And again, if it wasn't something that could happen when they're taking a nap, I didn't engage in it. So um, being able to have to go out and um, interact with professional athletes again, that was something I thought I didn't even know if I could even do that again. I wasn't sure that's something I had that ability to do. And so, um, I, there was no confidence whatsoever, literally no confidence that I could do this. Um, even, even though I got a call, phone call and I didn't apply for a job, I still was not sure this is something I could do because I had not done this. And this is not a, a job that you, you just step into. Everything has to happen organically. So I, I have to be at a place, place where they want to come and talk to me. So, you know, I, I, I definitely struggled even the, the first year, um, <laughs> I will tell you, a funny story where I'm um, sitting at practice, leaning up against, <clears throat> I'm standing, but I'm leaning up against a counter and I have fallen asleep. And um, uh, You mean you um, had fallen asleep standing up? I'm standing up, <laughs> I fell asleep um, and the players are practicing and I open up my eye and I see Dwayne Wade getting ready to take a picture of me falling asleep. <laughs> um, so, <laughs> so, yes, I, I was... I struggled the first year. I mean, I struggled. I, I was tired. I wasn't used to balancing work and, and um, home being at home. I was just at home for a long time and um, I wasn't used to having to get up and, you know, come for a full, you know, 10 hour day or and traveling with the team and then coming home and still be mom. So it was the, my first year was, was definitely hard, definitely hard. And so how did you work through that? How did you establish credibility with the play, the players and get to the point where you had that relationship with them that they would would come to you um, when it was, you know, the right time for them or for you to work with them? And how did you get the confidence back to know that that you were capable of doing this? Well, it was it was it was very slow and I had to be patient with myself. And that's one thing that I learned is that I, I, I had to just slow it down. I had to remember that I have not done this in a long time and that it had to be organic. And so I had to just let um, whatever pace my mind and body was going through that I needed to let that flow. The more I tried to push it, the harder it was going to be. And so um, I just literally just took one day at a time. And if it was, and I, and I took my, my wins were things like, um, I had a three second conversation with someone or someone even remembered who I was 
or the coach came to me for this question, or I sent out this article for this, or I went on this road trip and I had dinner with this person. And so the, those are the little things that I was looking for as just gains and trying to get back into the swing of things because it was um, just the regular grind of the day was, was hard. <laughs> um, it was, was very taxing on me. Um, I, I even, I, I even remember my second year when assistant coaches said to me halfway through the second season, which was just last year, he said, you know, wow, doc, you look so, look so bright eyed and bushy tailed so different from your first year. Huh? So it, it was visible. I was struggling. <laughs> but, but it sounds like, you know, they really stuck with you. So, so what happened on the first day the, 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 the manager comes in and introduces you as the performance coach. And then it's like, okay, go see it. Like when do you do your thing? Like, like, like what, what actually happened? So, um, my, my first day, they were actually the end of the end of the season. So I, I think I had like two games left. And so, um, I wasn't even introduced to the team. I just was just around and met people, um, introduced myself. Um, and then they left for the season um, players as players came back to work out, I would try to try to talk to them um, until the next season was that I was actually introduced as this is the, the performance coach and and this is what she's here for and um, you can utilize her as will and so that was the yeah, end that was my first year and so that was the, the the time where they knew that I was there, which they did you know a, a lot of teams don't even have a sports psychologist so they didn't really know what that really meant so um, the good thing for me, is that I, it, the first year was spent, you know, educating and talking about whether this is what I can bring and this is what I can do, um, as opposed to actually, you know, having to do all of that. In that time, I'm making relationships as I'm talking to, you know, educating them about what sports psychology is. Um, and it, you know, and it's, it was a, it was a very difficult time for me to try to figure all of those pieces out with the, with the team and, and then at home. I, I mean, I, this organization is, is actually really, is really uh, amazing. They have been more supportive than I, than I even thought. I mean, there's things that happen that I, I don't even think about that. They say to me, why, why didn't you, why didn't you ask us this? Or why didn't you do this? I mean, of course you, you know, you could have taken these things and I, I, I just don't, I just didn't think that way. So they've been very supportive of me being a solo parent, which is, which has been awesome. And, uh, you know, one of the questions I was going to ask you is, did they have a performance coach before this and were you replacing someone, but you're saying that you were not and you were the first performance coach. So you were essentially sort of, you know, with a blank slate, uh, introducing the team to what a performance coach could do. Can you give us some examples of what you do uh, on on the job? Like, what are some of the issues that you um that you deal with and, and the players deal with when they, do they come to you? Do you notice things and you come to them? Is it team dynamic on the court, off the court? Is it individual issues with players? Give us a little bit of a flavor for um, what the day-to-day job is like. Sure. It's actually everything that you said and then some. So I'm, I'm, I, I'm here for the players and the coach to help them work more efficiently on and off the court. And so that could encompass anything. So my, my day to day is, is very different depending on the time of year. Uh, for instance, right now we're in the pre-draft. And so I spent yesterday um, assessing, interviewing potential players are coming that came today for a workout to see if they're going to, if they would fit into, you know, the bulls organization. Um, it's like, I give them a, an athlete assessment. And then I also just talk to them to just to kind of see where they are and how, what, 
how what kind of person they are again if, if it fits um during the season i'm i'm just around all the time and we have the conversations i have the players is runs from talking to the coach to um whoever they're dating maybe there's a friend that's staying around that they need to no longer be staying in their apartment they're not getting any sleep mom and dad are coming around too much i'm not playing at all how do i get into the game um when i get into the game and i get I only get in for about five minutes but i get nervous for the first three minutes and so then i've already blown three minutes of my time to show the coach how i can perform how do i take care of that anxiety so i can actually get in and, and, and show them for the five minutes that i'm, I'm here and i want to do more how do I bring my free throw percentage up? How do I focus on just shooting my free throws when there's so much distraction from the outs, you know, from the, the bench to the, 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 the crowd to the players? How do I just zone in and do what I, and take care of business, what I need to do? How do I become a leader? There's nobody, there's not a leader on the team. So how do I do that? If I want to be a leader, how do I manage life and work? This is a job, but it's never been a job before. So how do I take on the, the whole idea? This is a job. There's just so many different things that, that they face that can affect the way that they perform. And that's what I'm here for is to help that happen. Because, you know, one of the things that, that I tell people to, to think about is that when you go to, when you go to your job, when I go to, when I go to, like, for instance, when I come to my job, there could be a number of things going on in my personal life. And when I come in, I still need to do my job. The big difference is that I don't have a million people watching me do my job. Right. They do. And I don't have a million people critiquing me on whatever it is I'm doing. I could do my job and even make a mistake, but maybe only one or two people know that I made the mistake. And nobody questions it or we just go about. But they make a mistake on their job. They've got, you know, millions of people that are critiquing them. And then they still got to come back and do the same job again. That's a little little, a little bit of angst that they've got going on and making sure that they are staying just, just centered. And that's, that's the big thing is helping them stay centered and focused. Right. And it feels to me like, you, you would have to build up a tremendous amount of trust with the with each and every player in order to have meaningful conversations and interactions that you're describing. Um, is that part of the process and how long does that take and what are some of the things that you do to to build that trust? Sure, it does. It 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 it, it is essential. If I don't have the trust and they're not they're not gonna have the conversations with me. So um it just obviously it depends on the person how long it takes for that to happen um, to, to build the trust. But I, one thing that I make sure is that I'm I'm consistent. I I I stay consistent with every with every player, every coach, and so they they know what they're getting. The other thing is that I I, I am myself. Um, what I mean by that is that I I don't act any differently with them than I do with my friends or with my kids or with anybody else in my life. They're gonna I'm Dr. Bollaby, but they're gonna get windy. Mm-hmm. It makes it a lot easier for me able to be able to relate with them and then relate to me when they know that they're just getting windy. I um, mean, they can talk to me just like a regular person. Right. And so I just make sure that I, that they're, that they're getting, they're getting me. The other part of that too, is that they're always getting windy, but they don't, they don't know about windy. What I mean by that is that my personal life stays very personal. Um, I think it's real important for that to happen if it's that way, because I do have these little segments of time with them. So I want to make sure when I have these little, segments of time it's not spent on them asking me about my personal life as we do for normal normal conversation you know when you how are you how are you how's the family we we don't have those kind of conversations we just jump right into whatever it is we're talking about because it's usually a couple minutes we have 
And if we do talk about family or life, it's usually their family and it's not mine. And so I like to make sure that I give them time. The time that they have with me is time spent focusing 100% on them and not on me. Right. Wow. Um, well, let me, let me get back to the relaunching topic. I'm, I'm so interested in, 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 in your job and what you're doing. And thank you. Thank you for um, indulging me and, and, uh, and going into some depth there. Um, pulling back and thinking about our relauncher audience, uh, are there uh, choices and steps and advice that you have for other relaunchers who might be, you know, going into a whole range of fields. We don't talk to very many performance coaches for pro sports teams. <laughs> like, I think you're the only one. <laughs> but um, more broadly, um, is there anything about the way you went about your relaunch or about setbacks or, or milestones that you would want to share with the audience? Sure. Actually, there's there's one thing that I think is um, real important that I think that we don't do as women um, that, that I think that I definitely would like to share something that I think that I, I tried to I did and I still try to do is that I, I think that we because we do so much for so many people uh, as women that we find that when it become, when it comes to us, where I, I see that what's these are one or the other. Either we do nothing for ourselves or we do so much for ourselves. And so there's not really like that happy medium. And I think in that medium is where growth happens. And what I mean by that is that I think that when we stop to give ourselves the, the permission to actually um, fall down or to try something new or to stumble or not be successful or for it not to go the right way, that's where we actually learn more about ourselves. And then we start to craft where it is that we're going to be going. Um, I, I think like for me, it was, you know, I, I had this amazing career. And so when I decided to go back to work, I didn't know what that was going to look like. How, how do I go from working from the Olympics to, to what, what was that going to be? Um, but then I thought, I, I just want to get a job. I, I don't even need to get, I, I don't need to figure out my career right now. I could figure that out as time goes on. I don't need to go from not working to a career. Mm. Now, it did happen that way, but that's not the way that I had planned it. I was going to go from not working to a job. And I literally had a job waiting tables at the Cheesecake Factory in Chicago because that's what I was going to do. And in that time, I thought, when I'm as I'm doing this, then I can figure out my career path. Um, and I think that that took a lot of pressure off of me. Right. A lot of pressure. I didn't feel like I had to be go from one thing from this to be automatically successful. I just needed to take my time to figure out what was going to be the next step. And I was completely okay with doing this job until I figured that out. I didn't have to figure out the career thing right away. So I, I was giving myself permission to, to stumble. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Or take a baby step or something. I, really, really great advice. You know, I, I so relate to, your comment about essentially we're the great enablers, right? Enabling um, all the people around us. Um, so really appreciate you making that point. And also this idea that you can baby step your way back um, in, into work and, or you can take almost like a placeholder uh, step, especially if you need to generate some current income uh, and relaunching can sometimes take time. Uh, there, you know, some relaunchers end up relaunching in an entirely different area or going through 
a more a prolonged process of figuring out what exactly do I want to be doing now as opposed to before my career break where you know you are very very um, focused on returning to a similar track um, at least longer term than, than where you left so and that, that's the path of some relaunches as well um, I want to spend our last few minutes talking about wisdom not the nonprofit that you uh, started to help youth discover their greatness, which is actually part of what I was reading on your website. I want to know if you could tell us a little bit more about it and when you started the organization. Was, was it on while you were on career break or before? Or, or tell, tell us all about it, please. Sure. Yeah. So it was actually after um, when I got back into work. So I, I, I developed this program when I was in my master's program. And and what I it started because I found sports psychology at 25. And I just literally happened to find it. It wasn't something I even heard about. And I wasn't, again, I said I was an athlete. And so I didn't even, my whole life, I thought I was just going to play sports. And so when that didn't happen because of injury, I didn't know what I was going to do. And I just happened to find sports psychology later. And so I thought I, I grew up in middle-class America. And if I just happened to stumble into sports psychology, inner city kids that are striving to be the next Michael Jordan and LeBron James, that they truly have no idea that there's all these career paths in sports. And so I wanted to develop something that could expose them to all these different jobs that they could do besides being an athlete. Cause everybody wants to be the 1% of the 1% that makes it into the professionals. And I'm just saying that there's so many other jobs you could do. And so I developed this program, my master's and then did nothing with it. And then when I got to the pools, I connected with Rajon Rondo and he does work with inner city kids. One thing led to another we, he and I um, sponsored a camp and, you know, brought my program into it. And then the next year we did it again, which was last year. And then I decided to turn it into a nonprofit. And, um, it, and that's exactly, it basically is what, what not, wisdom not is, is that it, it is to expose inner city kids to careers in athletics besides being a professional player. So I want to show them that not only can you be a coach, but there's equipment manager, there's a nutritionist. There's social media, there's a cameraman, there's sports psychology, there's sports medicine. There, there's so many different jobs. There's press, there's news, there's media that you can do, still stay connected to sports, but not necessarily make it into the, the major league. Right. I remember one of my friends, um, there, it, it, this is someone who's, who's a, an adult now, but I, I remember his mother was very worried about him. This was not a player, but someone who only wanted to just watch sports on TV. That's all he spent his entire youth doing. Um, no academics, no nothing. And the, the mother was really worried about what he'd end up doing. And he ended up working for ESPN. <laughs> <laughs> there you go. <laughs> um, so I love this idea that you're broadening everyone's vision of what is possible. And there's not just this one track to the one in a million, you know, making it onto a pro sports team, but there are all these other ways that you can um, be authentic and true to yourself and stay connected to the field in a very interesting and productive way. It's an awesome idea. Yes, I, I really love it. I think the, the, the other aspect to that too is that it's, it helps us as women, women that want to be in sports and don't, right, that we don't make it in, make it in that realm, we, that realm, we, we can be connected. There's so much, there's so many things that we can do and women wanting to get more in sports. There's so many different jobs out there. And so wanting to expose them to that. Right. Well, Rhonda was a beloved, I'm in the Boston area. He was a beloved member of the Celtics before he left the team. So 
<laughs> he's a great guy and a huge supporter of wisdom not so i i i uh i i really appreciate him you know he's um he gives up two days of his summer to spend with these kids two full days he's there for 14 hours and you know i don't not too many big name people are willing to do that so wow well um i i i have to make one more comment and this is this is really um kind of kind of off the wall but have you ever watched the show billions <laughs> <laughs> do you know where i'm going with this oh yes i do because you can imagine i've so honestly i've, I've never seen the show um but i can't it's one of those phrases what is the phrase that people say if i had a nickel for every time someone said have you seen billions <laughs> well let me just tell our listening audience in case they're not familiar so billions is a sees is a show i think it's i think it's is it on netflix or showtime I, anyway an awesome show but it's about the hedge fund world and the um interaction of the hedge fund and the government there's a, there's a million characters it's super complex but one of the lead characters is a uh is a is a the psychologist who is the is the um, company psychologist in the hedge fund, uh, and she is really a performance coach for all the people who work there. And her name is Wendy. <laughs> <laughs> Actually, I should say she's a psychiatrist. She she happens to be an MD. I only know that because I just watched the recent episode, and and I'm not going to um. Uh, be a spoiler for anyone, but there's an issue with that. So uh, we'll, we'll leave it at that. But I, oh, I just think it's so funny that uh, so many people have said this to you and you've never seen the show. <laughs> well, you can imagine with two little ones in this job, I, I have no time to watch TV. Yeah. So. <laughs> exactly. Well, Wendy, we are, we are at the end of our time um, and I'm loving this conversation. Can you just, I'd love to close by a question that we ask all of our podcast guests. And that is, if you can leave us with your best piece of advice for our relauncher audience, even if it's something that we've already talked about today. Sure. My best piece of advice is going to be know who you are. Self-awareness is so, so powerful. So to learn more about you and how you grow and what you do every day, I think it just helps you set the pace for what you want to accomplish in the future. So self-awareness is, is, a, is a huge, huge gem. If you don't already have it, I, I would advise to, to develop it and continue to grow it. Great advice. And before we close, can you tell our listeners how they can find out more about Ballaby Consulting and also Wisdom Knot? Absolutely. I would love to. So Ballaby Consulting is in Chicago and um, the website is, is just, it's my name, wendyballaby.com. Can, can you spell that out for everyone, please? Absolutely. It's W-E-N-D-Y, B as in boy, O-R-L-A, B as in boy, I.com. And what about Wisdom Knot? And then Wisdom Knot is, again, the, I'll spell that for you. So it's Wisdom Knot, W-I-S-D-O-M. K-N-O-T dot org. Wonderful. Thank you, Wendy, for joining us today. Thank you so much for having me. I had a great time. I did too. And thanks for listening to 321 iRelaunch, the podcast where we discuss strategies, advice, and success stories about returning to work after a career break. 
I'm Carol Fishman-Cohen, the chair and co-founder of iRelaunch and your host. For more information on iRelaunch, go to iRelaunch.com. And if you like this podcast, be sure to rate it on iTunes and your favorite podcast platform. And be sure to share this podcast with a friend on Facebook, Twitter, and other social media. Thanks for joining us.